My remarks are, are focused on a very small section of, of um, America's Great Depression, um, and that is um, Rothbard's definition of the money supply. So he reformulates the definition of the money supply um, in four pages, uh, from pages 87 to 91. And he does it uh, as a way of improving the, um, his, his historical analysis. Uh, he st- he start- starts with Mises. Mises defined money as a general medium of exchange. Um, but if you look at in human action, you'll see that Mises only includes currency and demand deposits, checking accounts, checkable deposits, as components of the money supply. Um, and in fact, Mises expl- explicitly excluded savings deposits at commercial banks and savings banks, and he categorized them along with high-grade bonds, blue-chip stocks, and even stocks of commodities, um, as secondary media of exchange. So he denied uh, the, uh, the moneyness of these other assets. Well, Rothbard, um, well, what he desired to do, he wanted to stick to, to, to Mises' defin- theoretical definition of money as a general medium of exchange, um, but he wanted to formulate an empirical aggregate that was consistent with, with, that, with that definition. So, and he, as I said, he did this in order to um, advance his historical research. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. He doesn't act like it's an innovation in any way. Um, it wasn't, and it wasn't a, a, an exercise in theoretical innovation for its own sake. He was doing it as a working economist. So these are two statements that reflect his criteria or his standard for identifying monetary assets. Um, one, demand deposits only function as money because they are considered perfectly, perfect money substitutes. That is, they readily take the place of money at par. And then elsewhere in that small section, he writes, the distinguishing feature of a money substitute is that people believe it can be converted at par into money at any time on demand. But on this definition, demand deposits are by no means the only money substitute. And here's what he includes to it, um, or actually, um, this is a, a more, for, I later wrote an article um, formalizing Rothbard's definition of the money supply, and so I did it in these terms. I said, for an item to be included in the money supply or, or monetary aggregate, it has to fulfill a number of conditions or criteria, must be routinely and universally accepted in exchange for goods and services, it must serve as a final means of payment in all transactions, okay, completely discharging the debt. That would only include currencies. I then added Rothbard's um, criterion, his, his, his new criterion, and, uh, in which he said, or it must be an instantly convertible claim to the general medium of exchange, that is to currency under fiat standard, uh, to paper currency, uh, meaning that it must be interchangeable with the general medium of exchange on demand at par. Okay. So that's a more formal statement of Rothbard's criteria. So this is what Rothbard included. Uh, in red are the ones that are extremely controversial. So he included what used to be called time deposits, which we no, now know as savings deposits, because he's looking at the 1920s uh, and 30s. Um, he also included savings deposits not only at commercial banks, but at mutual savings banks, some of which were mutually owned, owned by the depositors during this period of time. He also included shares of savings and loan associations, which were legally um, institutions that were owned by the shareholders, that is, the, the, the savers. Um, that was the, the formal legality of it. 
Uh, he also included shares and in, in savings deposits of credit unions. And then the most controversial item, cash surrender liabilities of life insurance companies. That is equal net um, policy reserves. Okay? The amount of money that people could borrow against their life insurance policies as they accumulated savings in those policies. So as I said, those two were controversial. Now, the monetarist Richard Timberlake, and also, not directly, but also Leland Yeager, um, have alleged that Rothbard's definition of the money supply was contrived, okay, in order to make it appear, in order to make money growth appear greater than it actually was in the 1920s. I left out the word money growth. Um, this ploy, according to them, enabled Rothbard to characterize the 1920s as an inflationary decade, decade uh, vis-a-vis um, Friedman and Schwartz, who claimed that it was not by any means an inflationary decade. Okay? And thus, to be able to apply the Austrian business cycle theory to explain the Great Depression. So it was, it was a contrivance of Rothbard's. In, in, so the first objection... Timberlake objected to Rothbard's inclusion of shares of savings and loan associations in the money supply. And why did he do that? He said they are not money because they cannot be spent on ordinary goods and services. To spend them, one needs to cash them in for other money. Notice he says other money. They are money. (laughs) Otherwise, he wouldn't use the term other money. Okay. Um, Now, what, what are the responses? Well, Savings and loan share accounts back in the 1920s and 30s, they were actually called building and loan associations. They later took on the name in the U.S. of savings and loan associations, all of which collapsed in 1989-1990. They're indistinguishable, really, from commercial bank savings deposits. They were redeemable, uh, uh, on demand, at par. Uh, you, You couldn't write checks either on the savings deposits at commercial banks, nor could you write checks on the share accounts. But in both cases, you could simply go down and, 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 and withdraw them from, from the banks. Um, so, And both technically were able to delay withdrawal, according to the bylaws, of savings. Okay, that There were um, a notice of withdrawal bylaws that said, well, you have to give us 30 days notice if you want to withdraw. They were not enforced. Okay, they were, By the 1920s, these were not enforced. Um, they were dead letters, so to speak. Um, and the savings and loans advertised every withdrawable, pay, pay, every withdrawal payable on demand. So, so, so they, um, they, they, they were willing and able, and, and de facto, they did um, allow withdrawal upon demand. The other, um, re, another response is that savings and loan shareholders had to first exchange their shares for money before they could spend on goods and services. Okay. But so do savings deposits at, at commercial banks. And Timberlake included savings deposits at commercial banks in his definition of the money supply. Again, they were indistinguishable. Um, and also, Timberlake does not object to an inclusion of savings deposits at a third institution, uh, mutual savings banks, some of which were owned by their depositors, okay? um, technically legally owned. So they were identical to the savings and loan in economic function. And also, as I said, some of them were technically owned by their depositors. There's a Friedman and Schwartz connection here. If you go back, you can see where Timberlake um, took his position from. Savings and loans are not banks as defined, okay, in a, in a legalistic way, 
in accordance with the definition of banks agreed upon by federal bank supervisory agencies, since holders of funds in these institutions are, for the most part, technically shareholders, not depositors. Well, one of the lessons that Mises always insisted on was that economics was always interested in the essence of a phenomenon, not the legal technicalities. Okay, so, so technically, in a legal sense, they're shareholders. So what? You can still withdraw these savings on demand at par, and therefore they should be part of the money supply. Um, in fact, Friedman and Schwartz were forced to admit that those who place funds with these institutions, quote, clearly may regard such funds as close substitutes for bank deposits as we define them. Okay, so they're admitting the case. That they're essentially savings deposits. Um, and then Timberlake objects to the, the, the cash surrender liabilities of, of life insurance companies on the same grounds, okay, as his objection to the inclusion of savings and loan shares. Um, Rothbard argued that the cash surrender values of life insurance policies are immediately cashable claims against insurance companies. Uh, and he said that they, they function like depository institutions. They collect funds from the public, and then they make loans and investments while they contractually promise to allow the policyholders to borrow against these policies. Um, so uh, Rothbard says they're economically in precisely the same position as savings depositors or thrift institution shareholders. So he includes them. Okay. This is the most controversial aspect of, of Rothbard's definition, um, and I don't really defend it myself. In fact, when we... Um, when I discussed with him my article that I wrote uh, on the money supply, he said, yeah, it's a real gray area. He said, you know, at this point, we should leave it out. And so I did. I, I, I'm a little uneasy with it, so I left it out. Um, but it's been the subject of undue derision by the monetarists. Um, and we can respond to that, though. Um, first of all, many mainstream economists in the 1960s and 70s noted the moneyness of the... Um, uh, net life insurance reserves, okay? And you can see that money in banking te textbooks. And second, if you exclude them from the money supply, it does not significantly change the rate of growth of the money supply in the 20s. So it doesn't affect Rothbard's case. So I'll finish up. Um, there's just a bunch of examples of different economists who um, claim that uh, these net life insurance reserves are, in fact, money-like, Okay. They can be withdrawn at any time simply by allowing the policy to lapse. Um, they're near money on a par with savings accounts. Okay, Haynes said that. Burstein said they're readily convert convertible into cash, almost as liquid as a mattress full of currency, and so they, they satisfy the precautionary motive. And then there's others, okay? So Rothbard wasn't alone. It was not a ploy. I mean, in the, in the 50s and 60s, it's the 60s and 70s, there were others the Keynesian economists were thinking in those terms. And finally, um, even if we exclude it from the money supply, um, we find that the, uh, the, with the item uh, included, Rothbard's money supply told about 61%, or the growth told 61% from mid-1921 to 28, yielding an annual rate of 8.1% increase in money supply. But if we exclude it, um, it, the money supply increased by about 55%, and uh, there was an annual rate at an annual rate of 7.3%. It didn't, doesn't affect the inflationary nature 
of, of, the, um, of, of the 1920s. And I'll stop here. So you don't have to put that up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.